Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a, a slew of interviews for you this week. we got a lot to get to, so why don't we get started? I mean, we've got the, uh, the biggest fight of the weekend in mixed martial arts has to be Chris Dawkins taking on Derek Lewis, but we've also got the much-anticipated boxing rematch between Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. You know, I, I rarely dip my toes into these waters. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mostly covering mixed martial arts, but you've got Tyron Woodley involved, so... I can I can cross some some uh, some lines for this particular instance, but let's start out with this weekend's card. We got Chris Dawkins. He's in the main event against Derek Lewis. Uh, really enjoy speaking with Chris, who uh, recently, unfortunately, is no longer part of the Philadelphia Police Department. Wanted to take a leave of absence, and apparently they wouldn't let him. So uh, that's unfortunate, but it's obviously fortunate for us because we get to see the best version of Chris Dawkins in the cage this weekend against Derek Lewis. A big challenge. I mentioned Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. They will both join me on the interview edition of the TSN MMA show, as will some of the other fighters involved in this weekend's card, the co-main event, Stephen Thompson, Bilal Muhammad, both of them will join me as well. So will Gerald Mearshart, a teammate of both Tyron Woodley and Bilal Muhammad at one point in time. Uh, a pleasure speaking with Gerald Mearshart and the Canadian, the youngster, Charles Jordan, entering the final fight of his contract as he reveals in this interview. Uh, always love speaking with uh, the very honest young prospect in mixed martial arts. And finally, Darren Williams joins us, a former three-time NBA All-Star. And back when I was in college, I was a big NCAA basketball fan. and I loved watching him lead the Fighting Illini of the University of Illinois to the NCAA championship. That's when I was really at the peak of my NCAA fandom. So nice to speak with him and be able to cover him from a combat sports perspective. And uh, that is what will be on this week's TSN MMA Show interview edition. Let's get right into it. Here's Chris Dawkins on the TSN MMA Show. The UFC is ending 2021 with a bang. Two big heavyweights, Chris Dawkins taking on Derek Lewis. Now, I imagine when you're waiting to find out your next opponent, you're probably not expecting a Derek Lewis, let alone a Derek Lewis who's coming off of an embarrassing loss in his hometown that you're going to have to face. <laughs> when you heard the name Derek Lewis come across your desk, uh, what was your instant reaction? Uh, I didn't honestly think that I was going to get Derek Lewis. I was very, very surprised that I actually got that name sent to me. Um, I figured it'd be one of the guys that I called out that night, but apparently the UFC had bigger and better plans. So um, I'm here enjoying it, and I'm just here along for the ride. You're facing a guy that just came off of a, a title fight, uh, a loss in an interim title fight. So this is really fast-tracking you, so to speak. I mean, you're 32 years of age. How How far into your evolution as a fighter do you believe you are? I don't know what age you got started at, but uh, 32 is usually a prime years for a fighter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm definitely right in the prime, uh, especially at heavyweight. You know, we, we tend to, to hit our prime and are able to fight a little bit longer than some of the smaller guys. And I think that's a part of the, the whole weight cutting thing. Um, so I started fighting about probably about 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I'm ready to go. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about everything that's that's really happening. You know, especially with this you know this big push that the UFC's given me, and uh, how you know it, the ascension to main event status against someone like Derek and, and his status is, is really uh, really super quick. Now, be honest with me here. Are you in the least bit scared of Derek Lewis? I mean, this is a scary guy, and if you admit that you're <laughs> no. scared of the guy, I mean, I think that that that's uh, you know a, a little bit of honesty because I think most people would be scared of facing Derek Lewis. 
No, I'm I'm not scared of, of of fighting anyone. It doesn't matter to me who I fight. I know that I'm going to come out okay on the other side. I might have some injuries here and there. I might have you know whatever is going to happen, broken bones, broken face, whatever. But I know that I'll be fine in there, and I have no reason to be scared of him. And he really shouldn't have a reason to be scared of me. I just think that you know it's a competition. Um, it's a fight at the end of the day, and I think I'm the better fighter. That's why I signed my name on the on the dotted line. Now you're a longtime police officer. You're on a leave of absence yeah. right now. What's the scariest situation you've ever been in outside of the cage that would probably make you less scared to enter the octagon with an unarmed person? Uh, just really anything in, in Philadelphia is uh, super scary. Uh, rolling up and into a shooting when guys are shooting at each other, that's, that's pretty scary. Um, yeah, so the, I would say definitely that, that situation or you know, dealing with uh, some bank robbers who are armed with, with guns and stuff. Those are, those are fun times, as they say. Well, the last time I was in Philadelphia, I took a wrong turn. Uh, I was probably in my 20, early 20s at the time. And uh, I was looking for South Street, and I, I was walking with my friends, and we definitely ended up in the wrong neighborhood. And uh, yeah. I walked up to a, somebody with a shopping cart and said, hey, uh, you know where South Street is? And they're like, you're in the wrong neighborhood, sir. And uh, they yes. pointed me in the right direction. So I, I can understand why being a, a police officer in Philadelphia might be a little bit uh, scary at times. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely uh, – it has its good spots and its bad spots. But uh, as of recently, it seems to be that the whole city has been, been kind of a bad spot recently. But, uh, yeah, I mean – you know, Center City's nice. Um, you know, South Street's good. There's a lot of tourist spots down there. Um, but really, you know, it, it's a, it's definitely a, a dangerous city as of late. So if anyone's planning on visiting Philadelphia, I would, you know, tell you to, to wait wait a little bit. Not, not yet. All right. Well, I'll take that advice to heart. Uh, it's also become quite a fighting city. You've got CFFC has been doing a lot of shows there, of course. And uh, your gym, uh, you know, the gym that hosts uh, Sean Brady and all of the other different fighters from Philadelphia. I mean, this has been a really big city on the rise for mixed martial arts. Why do you think that is? I just think that, you know, we've, we've all kind of started out uh, around the same time. Um, you know, my brother and I both started at the same gym that Sean Brady started at. Um, we've since, you know, changed gyms and everything like that. But, you know, we, we both started there. We both started when we were younger. All of us did. And I think that, you know, it's something that each of us has envisioned us doing for you know, this is for the better parts of our lives. It's just training and being UFC fighters and being UFC champions. And I think that each of us can be, you know, champions in our respective divisions. Who will be first? <clears throat> Strictly on, on the timeline, I would say me. I mean, um, I'm that close to, to a title shot. I would definitely say me. Yeah, you certainly have moved up the ladder pretty quickly. I mean, if you look at the break, pretty quickly, yeah. yeah. If you look at the breakthrough fighter of the year, I mean, Gerald Mearshart. I mentioned that over the course of the weekend uh, on social media that he sure, certainly should be there, especially at coming off that loss to Hamzat Shemaev. If he wins and gets another finish this weekend, it'll be three and zero with all finishes. Yourself, yeah. you would be three and zero with all finishes if you score a finish this week. Uh, Chris Curtis, yeah. I think, is in the mix. Uh, do you think yeah. that if you get a win in the last event of the year, last fight of the year, that you would be the front runner for being the breakthrough fighter of the year? Uh, I would hope so. I mean, that'd be pretty cool to, to, you know, obviously it's pretty cool to, to put your name out there for, with, with all those people and to be included in that list. But uh, to, to win the list is uh, obviously something I, I want to do. I'm super competitive. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm competitive at heart and competitive in nature, and I want to smash those guys as being the breakout fighter of the year. So, yeah, I'm definitely planning on going out there and uh, finishing Gary Lewis and putting a stamp on, on my claim as the breakthrough fighter of the year. Well, you have some stiff competition at heavyweight as well with Cyril Gunn, although I think a lot of people yeah. think he might be the fighter of the year. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, he's he's definitely fighter of the year. Uh, yeah, so Cyril gets my vote. Touche, Cyril.
<laughs> now, going back to Philadelphia, are you a Pats guy or a Geno's guy, or do you have a, another spot that is, you know, for the, the more Philadelphia diehards uh, for cheese steaks? Yeah, definitely more Philadelphia diehards. Uh, those two are pretty much tourist traps. I don't like them. I don't think that their steaks are good. I think that it's kind of just like a um, like a tourist trap. Like they're just in there, they're giving you the experience, and they're pushing you through the door. Next tours, next tours, next tours. I think that, in my personal opinion, Steve's, um, especially Steve's up in the Northeast, is where the true Philadelphia cheesesteak is. Um, it's my favorite spot, my favorite cheesesteak place in the city. So Steve's gets my vote. Well, you warned me against going to Philadelphia, and now I feel like I need to go and try Steve's. I, I like Ishka Bibbles. When I was there. Is Ishka Bibbles a, a, a tourist place? Uh no, no, that's okay. You got some, you got some natives going there, so so it's okay. But the the true Philadelphians, uh, definitely good to Steve. So listen, if you're ever there, give me a call, hit me up on whatever. I'll make sure that you're okay, and I'll, I'll treat you to Steve's steaks. <laughs> uh, nice, a police escort. I I appreciate that. There Look at go. that. Um, Ishka Bibbles, I knew was for real because they had a picture of Eldon Campbell on the wall. I was like, if you got a picture yep. of Eldon Campbell on the wall, then you're probably pretty Philly. Pretty legit. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> So your brother uh, had a, a weird fight last time around, um, yep. you know, the fight with Kevin Holland. It doesn't look like it's going to be rescheduled, unfortunately, but it seems like uh, he, he seemed to have Kevin's number up until, uh, you know, the, the unfortunate events of the, the end of the fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought he was winning that fight, clearly. Um, you know, I have people online who were saying otherwise that they point to the total strikes landed, but those are just people who haven't really watched the fight because if you look, uh, I think the stats were like he, like, landed 30 strikes or something like that but 26 of those or 27 of those was in the clinch and mainly they were foot stomps and or like little open-handed slaps against the cage it's nothing crazy um brother was slipping really good uh his footwork and his movement was really good he was landing the bigger punches on the feet when they were at range and it's just the, the whole situation is just weird um you know I, I feel really bad for him i wish that you know things were different things were i think i wish that things would have stayed the same for the way that um, Dan planned it. He planned on keeping it the same and he was going to do that. But then apparently he went out of the cage and decided to change his mind, whether that was someone else getting in his ear or other officials, what, what, what the, the case was, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate anything, but we were in the cage. Dan said that he was going to keep it as is. We thought, okay, cool. It's a win for Kyle. And if they want to appeal it, they can appeal it. And then we'll go from there. But as of, you know, that night, it's, it, it ended the way it ended, and I think it's just unfortunate for both parties. Yeah, I had a real problem with the way that that went down, to be honest. And, you know, I went on uh, social media after the fact, and people got mad at me. They're like, oh, well, it should be a no contest. And I said, yeah, it should be a no yeah. contest. But the way that you work through the procedure, uh, that, that was not the correct way to do it. The way that they went outside the cage, they were conferring. The, uh, yeah. the, the matchmaker was in the huddle. It made no sense to me. And then you've got Herb Dean saying, yeah. well, it's your call. You can change it if you want to. To me, I think that robbed um, your brother of, of a fight bonus. I think he should have earned a fight bonus. Right. And like you said, I think that it should have been a no contest, but it, sh it should go through appeals. That's the way that it's been done historically. Yeah. To change your, your mind on the fly, I just think was incorrect procedure. And again, as somebody yeah. who's a police officer, I'm sure procedure means something to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like you have those rules and procedures in there for a reason. And if you're not going to abide by them and you're just going to do your own thing, there's really no reason to to have them. I mean, you know, it it, it really does suck. I mean, you know, the clash of heads happened. Yes. The, if, if you're going to stop it right then and there, when Kevin fell face first and hit the ground, all right, cool. Stop it right then and there. No argument here. No argument from my brother, no argument from the team, but you allowed the fight to continue. Um, he was defending, you know, multiple submissions. Then my brother locked up a submission. Like this gets brought up all the time. Kevin looked like he was, he was recovering. If my brother shot in again for, you know, like a low double, and Kevin hit him with a knee and knocked him out. Are they going to go that and change that to a no contest and not give Kevin the win? I don't think so. 
So it's just, you know, you have to be transparent and fair in everything that you do. And if you're allowing the fight to continue, you are allowing both parties who are involved in that fight to win. And then if one wins and then you immediately go, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going back to, to the no contest. It should have been called a no contest and it stopped the right the moment that they had clashed. So. Now, fighters are allowed to make requests in terms of who their referee is. Do you know who your referee is going to be? And have you made any sort of request that perhaps is not Dan Mergliotta because of how he officiated your brother's fight? No, no, I, I don't really uh, concern myself with that type of thing. Uh, I'm strictly um, have control over what I can control. And, you know, that's pretty much how I've been fighting for the past 10 years. I really don't concern about who the ref is, who the judges are and all that. I mean, if I go out there and I do my job, they don't have to step in at all. So that's that's pretty much what I'm game planning for. If I were to say that your fight is kind of like Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gone Light, would you agree with that? I mean, you've got a, a really good technical striker like yourself, although I do think that you've had a lot more stopping power than Gone so far in the UFC. Yeah. And then you've got a guy with big power like a, like a Derek Lewis that, that hit, yeah. can hit you with that one big shot. Is that a fair comparison? I'd say so, yeah. I, I've never really thought about it like that. But yeah, the, but now that you're, you're putting that in this for, uh, perspective, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And uh, I actually really like that comparison. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that. And I think that's a nice way for us to wrap this up. Uh, thanks for this, Chris. Uh, best of luck of to you course. against Derek Lewis this weekend. Uh, really appreciate you. And I uh, hope to speak with you again in the new year. Thank you very much. You have a great new year. And if I don't talk to you, be safe. I'm now joined by the problem child, Jake Paul, a fantastic rematch with Tyron Woodley. Originally supposed to be Tommy Fury. It's uh, December the 18th, of course. Now, with Woodley being announced as the replacement, how relieved were you that he accepted the fight? Kind of a no-brainer on his end. I'm sure he wants uh, vindication, but how relieved were you? Yeah, it's great. You know, the show must go on. We have a responsibility to the fans and to the undercard fighters. Everyone who's been in training camp for months and months and months, and Amanda Serrano, you know, she signed the most valuable promotions. I have a responsibility to her to get this fight on for, you know, to, to put her on, a, on another level. Uh, so I'm, I'm relieved, you know, and, and it's great that Tyron stepped in and it's great that I accepted him stepping in. I already beat him and I already proved to the world that I'm the better fighter. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of risk going into this and that, that takes a lot of uh, most fighters would have just moved the date is what I'm trying to say. Most fighters would have stuck to the game plans and that was that. I heard you say on the MMA hour, you feel like there's more at stake for you than there is for Woodley. Uh, how certain are you of that? Because I think with Tyron, there's a lot more on the line. He's looking to, for, again, vindication. He's looking to improve his reputation. And, of course, a third payday with you, I imagine, would be coming if he does get a win. It's not even close. The guy's, the guy's retired, basically, 40 years old. You know, I'm, I'm a superstar, uh, young fighter with the potential to earn 200 $300, 400000000 million in this sport. Uh, if I just win and keep winning and remain undefeated. So there's, it's like apples to peanuts. Uh, it's not even close how much is on the line for me. And, you know, he already lost, so he's already dealt with those emotions. And for him, this is really just like a payday, I guess. I don't know. All right, but again, should you lose, you're always going to be a big draw in this space. I mean, you basically have created this space of, uh, you know, kind of boxers that have come from this influencer world. I, I feel like for him, he, he can get a third kick of the can. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mean more to him. You don't agree with this? Not at all. 
there's no meaning to what his story is right now. Like, what has he done for combat sports? What has he done for women's boxing? What has he done on the charity side of things? You know, is he bringing new eyeballs to the sport? No, he's just another fighter. Uh, so my story and what will happen here is way more important than Tyron Woodley, you know, accepting a phone call and getting another payday randomly. This guy was on set of a movie filming Cobra Kai. You know, he doesn't, he, he's not about this. He's not a, he's not a, his career is over is what I'm trying to say. You know, and I'm just going to put the final nail in the coffin. He keeps clinging on to the idea that he knocked you down in the last fight, that it should have been uh, considered a knockdown. But even had that been a 10-8 round, if you look at the scorecards, you know, I'm not the greatest at math, but you still would have won that fight. Why do you think he still clings on to that narrative? Uh, to try and get a rematch, to try and save his reputation. You know, when your back's against the corner, you're going to claw your way out of it in any way possible. Uh, of course, he's going to say that, you know. It was a good hit, but at the same time, I slipped. I was, my momentum was going back. If you watch the clip again, I'm throwing a check hook and he's coming over the top of the right. So I'm going backwards. He's coming forward. So he, he pushes me basically into the ropes. Uh, whoop de doo man. Uh, even if it wasn't knocked down, cool. Tyson Fury gets knocked down every single fight and comes back and wins. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Was that the biggest shot that anybody's ever landed on you in an actual boxing match? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, before that, I had never been hit in an actual boxing match. Professionally, uh, no one had ever hit me with a 10 ounce glove before. I just knocked out all my other opponents. Uh, so, yeah, that was my first time in that fight, even getting hit with a 10 ounce glove, period. But I've been hit harder in sparring, sparring way harder. Uh, again, it's just the momentum of me going backwards that made it, the shot look a lot worse than it was. Now, when you were in high school, you were already doing really well in terms of social media, but you kind of took a step back from that and immersed yourself in wrestling. Uh, would you ever consider moving over to mixed martial arts? If you were to, able to use the same resources you have now that you've put into boxing and channel that into grappling and wrestling, do you feel like you could make waves in that sport as well? 100%. I want Khabib. I, I, I want to have an MMA match against Khabib. And uh, it seems crazy, but I, I think it would be fun. I think everybody would love to see Khabib come out of retirement. Now, whether or not the UFC would allow him to go over and have a mixed martial arts belt with you, I think is another story. But in terms of mixed martial arts, though, do you feel like you could promote in that space as well? You often go after Dana White for fight or pay, but you've talked about comparing apples to peanuts earlier. I think comparing apples to oranges is kind of boxer pay versus mixed martial arts pay. Uh, would you want to start going into promotion for mixed martial arts as well? Yeah, look, you know, that may be on the table already. Uh, we're talking to some MMA fighters and the sport needs it. And again, I've advocated for fighter pay in MMA. Uh, they're, they're more underpaid than boxers. So definitely something I want to get into. Give me your vision then. If you were to go into mixed martial arts promotion, how would that look uh, compared to what we see I mean, right now with the UFC, Bellator, all of the other promotions out there? I mean, it, it, it's the same formula. It's, it's just shaking the tree you know, doing things different, social media, creating a story, creating a brand, uh, signing fighters, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know, I don't have the exact game plan uh, as of yet, but it's, it's, it's pretty simple, right? This isn't a, this isn't a hard industry to excel in, you know, I'm, I'm, I come from a tech background, Silicon Valley, 
investments, investors, venture capital. That's my background. That's what I do when I'm not boxing. So that is complicated. Crypto, blockchain, NFT marketplaces. That's what I'm versed in. This fight is the most simple, easy, straightforward business in the world. So it's not that complicated to figure out. It seemed like Triller was more of a non-traditional medium before. That's who you were associated with previously. Now you moved over to Showtime. Was that more about boxing legitimacy? You talk about the Showtime boxing brand. That's a very big brand in the space. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm taking levels up with, with each fight, and that was a big part of it. You know, the Triller guys are awesome. Uh, all, all love to them over there. But Showtime just brought that legitimacy and... Put, put me on a pedestal of being a real professional boxer, which is what I am. And that's the scrutiny is, is this kid actually a professional, you know, da, 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 da. they have everything to say, uh, but I am <laughs> surprised. I'm here. I'm here to stay. So get used to me. And I, I, I'm a real professional and Showtime gives me that legitimacy with, with you know, with Steven Espinosa believing in me. Uh, what I've done is, is become one of the biggest pay-per-view stars in the past 12 months. It's been very lucrative for Showtime, very lucrative for myself. Will boxing ever go back, do you think? You know, what you've done with it has changed a lot of what boxing has become, where there's people watching boxing matches, not just because of fighters that have gone through the Olympics and gone through all of these other, uh, you know, things from the amateur circuit to the professional circuit. You've made matchups that people care about, not strictly because of, of the boxing element of it. Do you think that it'll ever go back? Back to what? In a, in like life. traditional boxing. Like I said, guys coming up through amateur this, through I mean, the Olympics. This, this is traditional boxing. I, I don't, I mean, of course you can go into the amateurs and, and go to the, you know, be on the team of your country and fight 300 times like Lomachenko and build your pedigree there. But I think the formula that I'm showing is you, you don't necessarily need to do that. Why waste all of, all of those years when, you can get the experience in sparring and you don't have to be 20 and 0 anymore to be a big money fighter. You know, if you have the story, if you have the skill level, put yourself in there and challenge yourself. Most of these fighters aren't doing it. I'm the only fighter in the history of the sport to fight an eight round fight in my fourth fight and in my fifth fight and in my third fight. Everyone fights four rounds, four rounds, four rounds. Then they get to 10 fights. Then they fight six rounds, six rounds, six rounds. Then they, by the 15th fight, maybe they do an eighth rounder, eight rounder. So I, I'm just taking challenges and taking more risks than everybody. And I think that's what people need to do because fans are tired of seeing boring fights, boring promotions. They're tired of seeing people knock out trash cans. You know how many, I could go in there and I could be 20 and 0 by the end of next year. I could fight every other weekend and just knock out all these bums and people would think, oh, he's the best. Oh, oh. No, no. <laughs> I'm doing big fights right off the jump. Yeah, that certainly has been part of the broken formula from boxing is like you said, padded records and things of that nature. Uh, Mike Perry is a guy that you've sparred with before. He's no longer under UFC contract. It seems like he's available to do whatever he'd like to do. Is that somebody you'd like to box with? I know you guys had a little bit of beef there uh, from your sparring session. Uh, nah, I mean, he, he's not even as big of a name as, as Woodley and um, he's smaller than Woodley and it, it was a little, it was easy work to, to say the least in sparring. And he's not a big enough name, you know, from, from after this fight, after December 18th, it's like upward trajectory. And I just have to keep on getting bigger and bigger fights. And Mike Perry's not in that game plan.
Now, you can tell me if this is hyperbole or not, but is it fair to say that boxing saved your life? I mean, you were living in the fast lane. You were doing all kinds of different things, getting publicity for so many different, um, you know, I, some people would say for, the, for all the wrong reasons, but you used that to generate your following. And now you've got something that has really centered you. You're in Puerto Rico. You're doing this, uh, you know, training full time and, and making this your life. Has, has it basically saved your life from uh, going in the wrong direction? Yeah. 100% tenfold. Uh, I couldn't agree with that statement more. It really has. Uh, and the proof is in the pudding. You know, uh, I'm on such a good track right now. And like you said before, I, I was just super controversial. I was young in the spotlight, you know, making bad decisions. Uh, and I, I didn't want to be that person, but I was caught up in it. And boxing gave me that outlet to change and to become the person that I am today, which is a lot more mature, a lot more focused. I have a mission. I have a purpose. I'm driven. I'm hungry. I, I, I'm away from all that madness in Los Angeles. I, I have the right people around me who want to see the best for me. And all, all because of boxing. So it, it saved my life in more ways than one. All right, Jake, thank you for this. It's this Saturday, December the 18th, yourself, Tyron Woodley, the rematch. Looking forward to that and looking for, forward to speaking with you once more again in the future. Thank you, sir. Fight.tv. See you all there. Tyron Woodley's got his rematch against Jake Paul. It's this weekend on Fight TV in Canada. So, Tyron, I spoke to Jake last week, and I tried to convince him that you have more to lose here than he does. He disagreed. What's your take on the matter? You know, um, I don't know who has more to lose because we're fighting for different things. I'm fighting because it excites me and because I'm I'm feeling alive right now and I feel like he technically beat me on paper. I don't feel like he beat me in the last fight and I want to go out there and I want to get redemption. He's fighting for pride. He's fighting for his ego. He's fighting to, to, to get the naysayers. He wants people to really give him the respect and credit as a boxer. I'm not just a YouTuber and not just someone that's just jumping in and getting all these fights that, that are rigged. So that's what he's fighting for. So I don't know who has more to lose. We're fighting for two separate things, but at the end of the day, his hunger and desire to, to, to achieve his goal and my hunger and desire to achieve mine makes it a very exciting fight. We both got a lot to lose. But there's a trilogy fight hanging in the balance. If you win, I mean, there's going to be a lot of money for you win. for a third when fight. I when, when I win. When, when I you win. win. When I, I win. I, I'm be, sorry. I thank you. When, right. I, when I win, it'll be big, big bags on a re-up. And um, I, I would gladly take them. And, um, you know, we'll start looking after the, the great, great grandkids. Now, people said that you were a little bit trigger uh, shy in the first one, a little bit gun shy. You weren't throwing as much volume as they would have liked to see. Do you agree with that? Well, I would like to go to their job and say, I would like to see you sort the mail a little faster and flip the burgers a little quicker, but we don't do that. Um, our sport is the only sport where people can tell us how to do it, when to do it, who should, we should do it against, and they want to tell us how they want to watch us. It's entertainment, so we got to you know, we gotta understand that what we signed up for. I signed up to entertain you. This ain't boxing. You know, boxing is the sport that we're doing, but this is entertainment. Mixed martial arts is entertainment. People buy pay-per-view to be entertained. So... I just got to listen to that, but take it with a grain of salt. I'm doing what I'm capable of doing. I'm doing what my coach is training me to do. Um, no hesitation is needed. Who is this dude? Why should I even hesitate? Why should I back up from him? Why should I not throw what I know I can throw um, against a guy like Jake Paul? So that's my focus more so than trying to prove people wrong or trying to appease everyone. I can't please everyone. There's millions and millions and millions of people that are going to watch this fight. 
And I can't go out and make everybody happy. But what I can do is I can go out there and show these gifts that God gave me. I can go out there and knock his butt out. And there's going to be a lot of people that like it. There's going to be a few people that don't like it, not many. But it's going to be a lot of people that like what they see on Saturday. What you just said, do you feel like you took that approach in the first fight? The first fight, I was just going out there for the win. I was going out there. You got to realize it was my first boxing fight. And um, I was fighting an eight-round fight my first fight. And I was technically prepared and conditioned to fight for 12 rounds. So this time around, I'm, I'm going out there, and I'm just going to fix the little things I did wrong. I'm going to go to first. I'm going to start off the momentum. And, you know, when he throws punches, I'm going to make him pay. Do you have a combat sports bucket list for the next two years of your life? Like, if, if you... Man, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to think this dude is complete fucking batshit crazy. He's doing everything, anything. But um, the thing that's most important right now is Saturday night. And I think the fight that's going to be most important after that probably will be the rematch. It's going to be the one that excites me the most. It's going to be the one that most fans want to see the most. And as an entertainer, you want to fight in the fights, no matter what you're making. Even if I was making less, there's other promotions that offer me more money to fight in that promotion that I'm going to make fighting on Jake on Saturday. And that's actual truth. That's contract. And I got receipts to prove it. But um, this fight excited me more. It, it riled me up. There's more exposure. There's more opportunities that comes from rectifying the loss against Jake. Do you think we'll see you um, compete in mixed martial arts again in the future? Or do you think that that's Yeah, I need to box like a couple more times. I can't box one time and then jump right back in MMA. You know what I mean? I need to do three two, three fights in boxing, maybe four fights in boxing first. Um, so that way I can use the experience, use the knowledge, the, the, the ability to only punch and not kick, not elbow, not knee, not wrestle. And you actually knock somebody down and you got to back up away from them and let the ref, let, let them recover. And then maybe we don't do that. You get knocked down, we just get to finish off the deal right then and there. So for me, um, I feel like if I do three, four boxing fights in a row, when I do MMA, I'm going to be a sharper striker. The people in MMA won't be as crafty as the boxers that I fight. And I think it'll, it'll be a win-win situation. Do you think you'll end up boxing Dan Hardy in the future? I don't know. I mean, Dan Hardy's fucking, he ain't busted grape in 10 years. So, I mean, he's not really, he's not in position or in the seat to really be calling shots. He needs to be blessed at people even considering, you know, punching him in his little funny looking face. You, you did have something that was, I guess, in the works with him. Uh, obviously, this took priority, yeah. but are you looking to, you know, because I mean, I, I had you. something that works for January, which was not him. Oh, you had something else that was booked for January that wasn't him. It was not him. I, I didn't have anything he... booked, but I had I was negotiating um, almost three or four fights at one time. So, you know, they they called and asked me about him. So the Tyron Woodley business is booming right now. Like, <laughs> regardless of what happens I this mean, weekend, it seems like lots of people are knocking on your door. People want me to fight. People, people excited. You know, I, I was given an opportunity. You know, everybody think they're a damn star. Everybody think they can push a pay per view. Everybody want to complain and think we're not promoters. We think that we know. Oh, if you promoted me this way, I would be such a star. Showtime gave me an opportunity. They gave me an opportunity. If you think you're a star, this will show it. And I feel like people who saw the stardom in me, they saw the um, the, the upside. They saw the the you know the, the the fruit the fruit at the end of the tree or the the goat at the end of the rainbow, and they wanted to be in business with me. They understand that I get it. I get how to be the you know the other side of the coin when you're promoting a fight. I, I you know what I mean I put all it together, the marketing, the business mindset, you know what I mean everything. So for me, um, it was a blessing in disguise. But me going out here and winning is going to open up even more opportunities, and my rates going to go up. You know, I told everybody else, you can't offer me less than what I made against Jake the first time. I'm not going to allow my price to go down. So now the price is going to continue to go up. When you parted ways with the UFC, did you know that that was going to be a blessing for you? Did you know that you were going to end up doing bigger business outside of the promotion? 
I mean, everything that I'm doing right now is what I had planned on doing. I had planned on being the first. I'm really the only free agent in combat sports. Nobody else can claim they are. Nobody else can. I can box anybody I want to. I can kick you in the head. I can go do a jiu-jitsu tournament. I can fight in Asia. I can fight in a, a triangle, a ring, a circle, a cage, a rope. I can fight, you know, right outside of Chili's. I can do anything I want to, and I think that's how fighting should be. If you feel like I'm the best in the world and somebody's in a different organization, a different country, they saying they're the best in the world. I should go be able to go over there and challenge that. And, um, you know, in the UFC, you can't really do that. And I understand why they invest a lot of time. They were the premier brand of mixed martial arts. You know what I mean? They put a lot of money in these fights and they didn't want their investment to just go over and, you know, boom somewhere else. So I get it. I understand it. And I know what I signed up for. But before even my last fight took place in the UFC, I had already planned on boxing. Because in the UFC contract, I couldn't technically box without having them promoted like they did McGregor's card. I wanted to go and do some, you know, fight some other guys in different organizations that I really respected. And um, now I'm in a position where I can do all of that. All right, final question for you. When you win on Saturday, is there, there a rematch go. clause for Jake Paul? And if so, are the terms already disclosed? Yeah, the, um, there is a rematch clause. The terms are already disclosed. Um, I can't really communicate about those um what's in the contract but yeah it's already in the contract it's already set so you know all they got to do is just give me the date and i'll do it again i mean i don't know why this kid want to keep getting beat up by me but i ain't gonna stop him if you want to get if you want to bring the bread higher pay scale this time around if there's a third fight for sure all right i figured as much i'm gonna, I'm gonna talk him into even more <laughs> all right well i expect even no more. less Showtime. we need even more cheese in the macaroni <laughs> I get that. Thank you, Tyron. Always appreciate your time. Always love speaking with you. Uh, best of luck yeah. on Saturday. Not that you'll need it because we've already got the foregone conclusion that we've already discussed. When it happens, Come on. When, we're excited. When, when. <laughs> I'm going to put the t-shirt that says when. All right, be blessed. He is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the second last fight in the UFC of 2021 against Bilal Muhammad. Now, I've been thinking about this, and don't take this question the wrong way. But how much do you actually train for an opponent? Because everybody's so fixated on training for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and his style. Do you focus mostly on just what you're doing? Because uh, while the opponents are going to be different, it seems like they're going to have to figure out an approach to fighting you rather than you fighting them. That is so true. It's very difficult to fight, to find somebody quite like myself, and especially with those karate backgrounds and awkward styles. But yeah, man, I mean... I pretty much kind of train everybody the same. Obviously, everybody's different, but at some point in time, everybody looks to shoot for the legs, and that's what I'm prepared for this fight especially. My last fight, I didn't get the W like I wanted, and I didn't expect to lose it that way, but it let me know what I really needed to go back and focus on, and that was definitely the takedown defense. And uh, I'm ready to rock and roll, man. ready to go out there and do it. I know that I can do out there this coming Saturday. Well, I saw that uh, Bilal, he's obviously trained in the past with Anthony Pettis. I saw him training with Gilbert Burns, but I didn't see any Raymond Daniels on his Instagram. So Raymond's got like a month off. So good for Raymond. Yeah, no, man. <laughs> I feel like everybody brings in Raymond Daniels. Uh, of course, he's the karate guy. So it makes sense. It makes sense. But good, man. I, I'm ready for this fight. I saw where, you know, Bilal, you know, has taken some time to train with Burns and uh, I think, did you say Anthony? I think Anthony, right? That yeah, is... he's trained in the past with Anthony. I know he's been at Rufus Sport for some of this camp. Yeah, so um, he may take a, a note out of Gilbert Burns' book and just try and shoot for the legs. But wherever the fight goes, man, I'm going to be ready for it. In the past, you've told me you don't really like talking about your opponent or your upcoming fight. You get kind of nervous about it during fight. Would you want to just talk about UFC 269 instead? Would you, ra would that, would you rather that? Man, talk about an <laughs> epic fight card, man. Some upsets, uh, some finishes. 
uh, man, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, to see you know Sean O'Malley go out there and starch his guy. Now he's ranked up. I think he's ranked 13 right now in the bantamweight division. Um, you got you know the upset with uh, well, I don't think it was an upset, but people were calling it one of the biggest upsets of all time. You know, Pena versus Nunes. What an what an awesome fight that was. So it was a great card, man. Great card. Well, I want to ask you about something. You mentioned the rankings with Sean O'Malley, but. The women's pound-for-pound pound rankings, they moved Nunes down to number three. I, I, I would just love to hear your opinion on that. Why the number three? I don't get that. Pound-for-pound, pound, she has held the title for so long, and they moved her to number three after one loss. I don't, I don't know about that, man. I, I think she is up at the top. I mean, that's just, my, that's just my opinion, but I think she's up at the top for sure. Did she look herself to you? I mean, you, you mentioned that you didn't really think it was an upset, but it, it felt like there was something missing there. Well, number one, you know, I can't. I, I see both. You know, uh, Nunez maybe was just kind of like, ah, I'm here to fight. You know, and Pena, obviously hungry for the title, opposed her will on the Nunez, and Nunez isn't used to that. She isn't used to that. And imagine somebody like that on a uh, not ready mentally Nunez, right? So I felt like a little bit of both. Nunez maybe wasn't quite there. But Pena, when Nunez fights people, you know, it's almost like they're out there just to survive. And Pena was looking for the finish. She was in her face the whole time. And Nunez is not used to that. Yeah, you, I mean, you could see Amanda you start to fade. I, I, I really couldn't believe it because we've seen that from Amanda years ago where that, that's happened to her. But... I just, uh, I don't know, watching that, watching her kind of, her face change and watching Pena stand in the pocket, I just think, you mentioned that you didn't think it was an upset, but I think the one thing we didn't give Juliana enough credit for going into this fight is her chin. Nobody really talked about how she's got this great chin, and if she stands and trades with Amanda, maybe she can take what Amanda throws at her. Exactly, man, exactly. You know, she's, Pena is, I mean, she won the ultimate fighter. She is a monster in this division, and uh, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see a rematch. We don't know. I don't know if they call for that yet, but... I feel like it should be up at the top of the list. But Pena, man, she is a beast. And uh, to be able to go out there against somebody like her and not be ready mentally is is uh, a downfall for you, for sure. And we saw what happened. Now, have you ever had a fight where maybe you won it even, but you didn't feel good on fight day? You felt like there was something missing? I mean, with you, I think a lot of it is muscle memory at this point because you've been doing karate for so long that even if you show up and you're having a bad day, I think a lot of it is just kind of your, your body takes over because your mind knows what to do in those moments. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have your ups and downs, good days and bad days, and good camps and bad camps. And, um, you know, it's, it is getting to the point where you know what you should feel like before you step out there. And sometimes you may feel... Uh, you know, it may feel a little off, but that's something you can't really dwell on because you're getting ready to go out there and do battle. That's something that you shouldn't shouldn't have on your mind. So, yeah, once you step out in that octagon, man, it's just muscle memory. Is there one, you know, fight where you were surprised that you won it because you just didn't feel good that day and you ended up performing above what you thought you were capable of that day? Man, I I think I'm not really sure in the UFC, but I've had some some kickboxing fights in the past where it's like, man, maybe, I don't know, my legs were getting a little tired or, uh, wasn't used to any kind of weight cuts or things like that, and and uh, but went out there and starts the guy. And it's like, what the heck, man? I just there was one fight when I fought Jake Ellenberger, and he ended up knocking me down in the first round. And I thought because of that one knockdown, I was losing the fight, which actually made me ramp it up. And I ended up knocking him out with a spin hook kick. That was the only time really in, during a fight where I was like, man, I'm losing this fight. I got to pick it up, and uh, I ended up finishing the guy. 
Was this last fight, I guess you've lost decisions in the past. Um, I, I'm looking, this is a unanimous decision. Yeah, so I guess the Darren Till was technically a unanimous decision loss, although I think a lot of people thought you won that fight. Um, what did you think of the decision in the last fight? You know, I mean, I didn't expect my opponent. I think it was, a, it was you know, I don't think it should be a unanimous because I was knocking him down. I was hitting him, striking, standing up. But that was the one time where I've actually had somebody beat me just by holding me down. And I was really disappointed in that I lost that way. You know, the guy did everything he could just to hold me down. We're not even trying to go for any submissions. Uh, we're not even trying to do a whole lot of damage on the ground. And I'm thinking to myself in the first round, I was like, man, please tell me I'm not going to lose this fight this way. He was using all of his strength, too. And he was actually tiring himself out doing it. I feel like if that was a five-round fight, I, I would have I won that fight. When you look at the scoring criteria, I mean, takedowns don't really mean a whole lot. But the thing is, like, if, if you let's say you're taken down for the full five minutes of the first round and a guy lands one strike on you from top, they're, they're going to win that round. But if you were on bottom and you're landing like 10, 20 strikes to, to one, you're probably nowadays going to win that round. Do you plan for that? Do you game plan um, for what you can do off of your back in order to win some favor with the judges? Oh, yeah, you have to. You got you to gotta, you gotta dig deep and do everything you can to win a fight. And if that's fighting off of your back, you got to learn to do so. Um, it was difficult for me to do so in the position I was in against Gilbert Burns because I was up against the fence. There was one point in time where he was punching me. It didn't hurt. So I just decided to stop blocking and just punch him back. We were just punching each other in the face. You know, but you got to plan for that. You got to plan for everything. You talk about your kickboxing career. Do you still watch a lot of kickboxing? Like, do you watch all the glory events and things like that? Oh, yeah, I love it, man. I love watching K1. I love watching any, any kind of good strikers out there in any, in any promotion. If it's, uh, you know, obviously Michael Page Venom or if it's Raymond Daniels or if it's, you know, Izzy Adesanya. Um, I, love, I still love the striking game, and, I, and I'm always a student of it. There's one guy that's coming over to MMA that just, I think he just had his debut, Cedric Dumbe, who's in your weight class. He was the champion in Glory for a long time. And it seems like a lot of these champions from Glory are starting to make the transition over to MMA. Um, how much of a learning curve do you think there is for these guys that, that are so focused on striking and now kind of need to develop this all-around game? I know Cedric Dumbe was like, I want to fight in the UFC in January. I want to fight the champion by the end of the year. Like he's got, he's got big eyes for what he can accomplish, but does he, should he kind of slow it down? He's not 30 yet. How much time do you think it takes for somebody to really grasp, you know, the, a full knowledge of mixed martial arts if you're coming from a strictly striking background? Well, I mean, he, hopefully, you know, he seems like a really intelligent guy. So I believe he's going to have the right people around him to help him get to that. Um, but, yeah, man, you do. I mean, he's, he's very young and he's got a he's got a lot of time ahead of him. But just know that there's going to be some mistakes out there and some and some things you're going to learn before you step out in the cage, you know, before you step out in that octagon. And you got to do that just by putting high-level guys, you know, sparring with you and on your legs, taking you down and see if you can withstand the pressure in that grind. Because it's a different grind than striking, man. When you got somebody heavy on you, on your back, holding you down, it is tiring. And that's something that you have to prepare for mentally, emotionally, before you step out there. So if that was one advice I could give to those strikers coming over is put all the time you can into being able to get back up to your feet. Wrestle, 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 wrestle. Now, your last opponent, Gilbert Burns, we've seen his power. We saw how he looked against Kamaru in the first round. But do you feel like Bilal Muhammad doesn't bring much of a challenge to you on the feet? Uh, he's a very well-rounded fighter, but based on your last fight and Gilbert Burns trying to take you down repeatedly, do you think that that's really Bilal Muhammad's only path to victory is to, to outwork you in terms of grappling exchanges? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, anything can happen. I learned that the hard way against uh, Anthony Pettis when he knocked me out, and I was beating him, right, standing up. So anything can happen. And, you know, Bilal Muhammad, 
like I said, he may take out a note, a note out of uh, Gilbert Burns' book, but um, at some point he's going to be definitely shooting for the legs. But he's good everywhere. This guy is good standing wrestling jujitsu. He's got some submission under his belt as well. Submission wins. So, you know, for me, for my mindset, I've got to be prepared everywhere, wherever the fight is. I got to be prepared for it. So I'm not. I'm not going out of this fight looking, thinking that this guy's just going to shoot. He may mix it up. He may fake the shot, come up striking. You know, he's going to use his striking to try and shoot for the takedown. And my goal is to, uh, you know, obviously defend that and keep the fight standing and see if I can put him away. Now, I don't know how much research you're doing on him from a digital standpoint because you're, you're really making moves in the YouTube sphere. But his, his show, Remember the Show, is Game Show with John Anik's brother. Have you watched this? Because I think you'd be a great fit as a contestant on the show once the dust settles from this weekend. I was supposed to be on this show not too long ago, and I wasn't able to make it because I couldn't get the app to work on my phone correctly. So I told him, I was like, man, we got to do this. Hopefully we can do this after the fight. Um, but, you know, obviously we got to face each other this Saturday. But I wanted to be on the show, wasn't able to make it happen, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to on there, be on there in the future. All right. Well, I always love speaking with you, Wonderboy. You uh, have this infectious energy and, and positivity about you, so I feel like my day is made better from speaking to you. Thank you for this, and uh, best of luck in the co-main event this weekend. Thank you, my friend. Always enjoy it. See you soon. Well, if you don't remember the name yet, you're not paying attention. It's Bilal Muhammad. He's in the co-main event, final co-main event for the UFC of uh, 2021, taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Obviously a challenge that is very different from anything else you've faced in mixed martial arts. How have you adjusted your training to face such a unique specialist? Uh, basically just did the exact opposite of everything I did for Maya for, for Thompson. Uh, you know, I got a, I got a good group of guys that I train with and a good team around me and, uh, they all did a great job of adjusting and helping everybody trying to figure out what to do with them. And I've, I've, I've seen, I've been through two of T. Woodley's camps in Thompson. I've been through one, uh, Anthony Pettis camp for Thompson. So I've seen what they did, what they, what they did mostly during the camps, how they, uh, try to figure them out. I called Anthony, asked him some questions of what he saw inside the cage so uh, it's good to have those guys in my back pocket and see what their thoughts were about everything. I thought you trained with Gilbert Burns as well, the last guy to face Thompson and, and last guy to get a win over Thompson. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Gilbert's such a cool guy. Uh, he answered a couple of my questions. He talked to me a little bit. Uh, so it was cool just getting some working with him and just getting work with a high-level ranked welterweight to see where how I match up and stuff like that. Now, I checked your Instagram. I did not see Raymond Daniels, who everybody brings into face, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Did you train with Raymond Daniels for this camp or did Raymond get the month off? <laughs> uh it's funny i actually did call him but uh he had some stuff he was moving around um but uh when anthony fought him anthony only really brought in mike biggie Rhodes. so like mike biggie Rhodes was Stephen thompson stuff. so i brought mike biggie Rhodes in i got ignacio bahamundes who's like the the best striker i've probably ever gone with in my life uh and he's so good everywhere i got teammates rasha gutierrez uh these guys they did a very good job of just figuring them out they're all very smart and it's like one of those where i don't want to overthink it and think that, oh, man, I need to bring in Daniel DeRusso to, to fight a guy like Thompson. It's like, I know what I need to do. I don't want to sit there and focus way too much on what he needs to do. I know that what my game plan should be and what it needs to be, and uh, I'll get it done. That would have been funny, though, if you brought in Daniel DeRusso. Like, if you just did a photo shoot <laughs> on Instagram saying, I'm training with, like, a really high-level karate guy for this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, I did an interview uh, yesterday, and it was, like, uh, some company in, like, India – and, like, the guy's, like, first question was just, like, do you actually think you could win? And I was, like, what kind of stupid question is that? But I was sitting there, like, okay, you know, it's one of those interviews where the guy really doesn't watch fighting or he's just a weird dude. 
So then he was like, oh, did you bring anybody? And I was like, yeah, I brought in Daniel LaRusso, and he's a great karate guy, and we've been training this whole time. And he was like, oh, really? Oh, okay, this is good. This is good stuff right here. Let me write it down. And I'm just like, all right, this guy's a joke. <laughs> well, maybe they just don't have the karate kid over there. Maybe it's just not as popular. They don't have – I don't know. Am I right? Maybe they don't have Cobra Kai there. Maybe. <laughs> they probably do. Uh, I digress. Uh, big weekend this past weekend for uh, Valley Flow Systems with Juliana Pena. Uh, winning the title. What did that mean to you? Uh, I'm sure that you had, you know, as much uh, belief in her as, as anybody else who's trained with her, but I'm sure if you look at the majority of the population, it seemed nobody thought she was going to get the job done. You know, honestly, it just, it, it like cemented that I'm, I'm in the right place and I'm doing the right things that my team, my coach uh, needs to start getting the respect that he deserves. You know, like people don't respect these coaches unless they're at a big gym with a big, with over 50 guys in the UFC at their gym and stuff like that. We're a small gym in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and people are starting to realize that we're, we're on the map. We're starting to get there. We just had, uh, two guys put into the UFC, young guys that just got into the UFC from the contender series. Uh, we just got the world champion and it's not like she's just any world champion. She's a, she beat the goat world champion. She's, she beat Amanda Nunez who nobody wanted to touch. And, you know, she didn't have to fly in a hundred different training partners or go to a different, hundred different places. She did it all in Chicago uh, with the team that brought her up there. And it, it's cool to see that. And uh, it just tells me that, you know, we're doing the right things. I'm in the right place, right spot. And uh, I plan on following her footsteps. And high tides raise all ships. So I, I plan on just keeping that momentum going. Now, tell me if you agree with this. I, I, what I keep saying this week is the one thing that everybody completely ignored going into that fight is Juliana Pena's chin. Like, we haven't really seen her get cracked in the UFC um, she has one KO loss that was a doctor stoppage in her regional days against Canadian uh, Sarah Morris. But outside of that, we haven't seen her really get hurt in a fight on the feet. And even though she got into the pocket with Amanda Nunes and they were going blow for blow, I think the, the consensus was that if it gets to, into striking exchanges, that Juliana's just going to crumple like everybody else who's fought Amanda has. But I, I just think everybody kind of ignored that we haven't seen her chin really get cracked at any point in her career. Exactly. When I broke it down, I said that, uh, you know, Amanda Nunez is so used to these girls folding. He's so, so used to these girls getting scared before they even enter. Megan Anderson looked like she was sh shivering before the bell rang. And you're, Juliana, like I said, that self-belief that she believed, she really believed it. You know, everybody, oh, that's fake trash talk. That's fake this, fake that. No, she really thinks she could be a champion. And I was like, if Amanda goes in there, hits her a couple times, she's still standing in front of her, then that's when Amanda's going to start you know, the power level is going to start going down a little bit. Then she's going to start, wait, I just, I hit, I knocked out Cyborg with one punch. How is this girl still standing in front of me? Uh, Juliana just showed how tough she was. She didn't back down at all. She stayed in her face and she, she threw down with her. If you want to sit there and throw it down thinking that uh, you're going to break all these girls, Juliana is not the one to break. And I said that if she gets her into the deep waters and she didn't even really have to get her deep water, I said she could drown her. And that's exactly what she did. I don't think, it, all these people saying, well, Amanda wasn't there mentally, this, this, and that. It was, it was, she wasn't there mentally because Juliana made her not there mentally. Juliana was in her face the whole time going blow for blow with her and then taking her down and then pulling her down. And it's like, you're getting hit. And then all of a sudden this girl drags you to the ground and you have nothing left in your gas tank. And we saw with the Clay Guida fight uh, where he threw everything at him and Clay Guida was still in his face and then he took him down and then he gets him in a rear naked choke. But this guy's a 20-time jiu-jitsu champion, but Clay Guida... The wrestler from Chicago, Illinois, chokes him out. You're like, what the heck? Is he even a black belt? No, it don't have to be. He's a black belt in breaking people. And that's what Juliana is. Yeah, it's, it's weird because if you're watching the fight live with the commentary, 
they're they're blown away by how well Juliana Pena is doing. But that round was up, up until Juliana won. That was a close round because Juliana was taking big shots from Amanda Nunez. Um, and as you mentioned, you could just see Amanda Nunez's face kind of change. Like she hadn't experienced that before. And I think you're right. I, I don't think that I think that Amanda Nunez was there until she wasn't. I, I think that's a great way of breaking it down. Yeah, I think it kind of like gives you the same. The, the when Amanda Nunez fought Cyborg, where I compared Cyborg, it to that so too. Breaking mm-hmm. it, and she's like, "All right, wait." Amanda's still standing in front of me. Amanda's banging right in front of me. It was like one of those things where I felt it was the same exact way as that fight. Yeah, I said that all week. I said it's it's very similar to that fight because nobody expected Amanda to stand in the pocket and trade with Cyborg until she was able to kind of outwill her at her own game, and that's exactly what Juliana did. I can't wait to see the rematch for that fight because I think that if Juliana gets another win there, it's going to answer all kinds of questions that people had uh, about the aftermath of that fight. Exactly, and I honestly, I like. I do think that she has a style that it's a bad matchup for Amanda. It's not like uh, it was a lucky punch or anything like that. Like she's she'll stand there and bang with you, and she has the cardio for days, and she'll grapple with you for twenty five minutes. So uh, Juliana is a tough fight for anybody in that division. You've been doing a lot of desk work for the UFC. Do you feel like that's helped you a lot in terms of breaking down fights and, and noticing things that maybe you hadn't otherwise noticed uh, about uh, just fights in general? You know, when you were just training as a fighter. Yeah, honestly, it's been cool because you, you look at it, you watch fights in a different way, and then you pick up different techniques from different fighters that you, you watch. And, you know, I worked a couple cards with Corey Sandhagen on there and just seeing, like, his footwork and his things, and it makes me want to try stuff in the gym. And then, honestly, working on the desk with, like, other great fighters like Anthony Smith. I worked with Joe Ban. I worked with Daniel Cormier, Dean Thomas. And, you know, you, get, you, you watch the fights with these guys. When the main card starts, you're watching the fights with them. So then you get their thoughts and ideas as you're watching a fight with them. So that's also very cool because, like, you know, you learn a bunch of things from these guys just hearing how they think and how they, uh, what they think this guy should do or that guy should do. And which of these guys that you work with at the desk could stand to do more research? I'm curious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to say DC or anything. I'm messing around. That's the thing, too. Like, it's just so, like, like how DC said, he's a, he's a different type of guy where it's like he doesn't have to be the, all right, I'm going to be the bookworm and explain it exactly like this. Like people like him just because he's a regular guy and he loves fighting. He's a fan. And the way that he calls fights, I think is the best way just because that's how any other guy would do it. But he's also very smart in the way he does it. He's, a, he's an analyst, but like, you know, he doesn't have to be a comedian, but he's just naturally funny. And like, that's kind of like the road I want to take where I want to be that guy too, where I can break down fights and, you know, bring humor to it. It doesn't have to be all like very specific and very analytical and, Oh, you used the wrong word. It's not a Kimura. It's a wrist lock or that lock. And it's like, bro, relax. It's it's arm lock. Yeah, and I think a lot of the people watching at home do kind of want to watch it for the entertainment. I think there's a balance, right? Like, you know, Daniel Cormier could stand to, I think, be a little bit more well-researched on the background of some of these fighters on maybe some of their previous fights. But when it comes to actually calling what's happening in the fight, Daniel Cormier, I think, might be the best in terms of actually noticing the little nuances of what's going on at the time it's happening. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, like he noticed stuff that a lot of other guys don't notice. And, you know, there's, like you said, there's some background stuff. You're like, well, maybe if you, I would like to be brought that up. And then that's what like John Anik and them are there for anyway. That's the, those are the ones that are like, bring those random stats up and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know. I just like, I, DC is one of my favorite ones. Uh, I think Paul Felder does a good job of trying to be funny where he's actually not. Uh, but he does a good <laughs> job of breaking down analytically and stuff too, being professional with this. So it's cool.
I've got my headline now. Uh, Bilal Muhammad says Paul Felder not good at being funny <laughs> on the broadcast. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, last thing, last thing for me. I did a little bit of recruiting for you for uh, Remember the Show. I uh, spoke to Wonderboy yesterday, and he said he'd be glad to be on the show after this fight's done. So uh, there you go. You got you got a guest for a future show. He said that he yeah, almost was funny. on it actually, actually in the in the week him leading the up. Beforehand, <laughs> I invited him beforehand, and uh, it was like the day of, and he couldn't click on. Like for some reason, he couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, "Guess oh, you know what? You want to blow? You want to blow my show? I put you on a poster, and you want you want to show up, dude? I, we're definitely fighting after this." But uh, <laughs> no, nah, it's cool. As I tell people, I'm like, I have so many people. Oh, why don't you talk trash to them? Talk to them. I'm like, bro, one of is like nice guy, very cool guy. Uh, it's all respect here. Uh, I think just it's a great fight, and I think it's gonna be a fun fight for the fans and everybody. I think that whoever faces Wonderboy should just talk about how much this karate sucks. Just be absolutely <laughs> subpar karate. Just to get that, was, was gonna, that might was be the only way to get Wonderboy. He's a closet racist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bilal. Uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you for this. And uh, look forward to speaking with you in the new year. Uh, happy holidays and uh, all the best to you against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson this, uh, this coming weekend. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. It's time to put some respect on the name Gerald Mearshart. Looking to go 3-0 in 2021. Big bounce back year for you. Dustin Stoltzfus, new opponent for you, but I kind of think of him as Gerald Mearshart Light. Am I onto something there? Actually, that's pretty good comparison. Yeah, we we do have a similar style. Uh, he likes to come forward. He's pretty slick on the ground, and you know he, he doesn't mind clinching either, so that's a pretty accurate comparison. When you saw that you were getting a new opponent, uh, and it was going to be Dustin Stoltzfus, what was your first thought? Um, I, man, it was like a week before the fight or a week before I was leaving. So I didn't really have any thoughts other than like, man, I've been training. Uh, I've built up into this three fight, you know, three fights at worth of camps and uh, I feel great and I'm fighting somebody like, I don't care who they got to find. I'm, I'm finishing out the year strong. So the, the name didn't really matter. Well, it certainly seems like that has been the case for you. I mean, we saw your last fight. You were a massive underdog in that fight. And then you were supposed to face another killer, uh, Abu Sapien uh, Magomedov, uh, who was a former champion, I believe, in the PFL. A very well-known guy. Um, was he a former champion in the PFL? Or he faced, uh, maybe he faced uh, Lewis Taylor in the final. Something along challenge. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lewis Taylor, who I'm sure you've seen during fight week. But, uh, yeah, it, you're just taking whoever they throw in front of you. And that seems to be what, what you do. Yeah, so far, you know, I've never was be my fifteenth UFC fight. I always hear these guys talk about, oh, they gave me a list of names. I'm never the one that gets the list. My name is usually on the list, apparently. So, and like this is a little bit different, right? Because we our opponents drop out, but yeah, I'm just I'm just here to fight and make money. So whoever they got, I'll fight. I mentioned off the top, if you're looking at breakout fighter of the year or, or comeback fighter of the year, I think you're certainly on the list. Uh, you know, should you win three and zero? over the course of the year after a really tough loss at the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a two couple tough losses get there and, and, you know, it sucked, but I worked my way back. I took the appropriate amount of time off after that second one that I needed. And, uh, I feel like I'm in a great place physically, mentally, everything's clicking and I'm, you know, I'm ready to get that streak and get that title. You, uh, so graciously have given me. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you, you've got some pretty stiff competition. I mean, I, Chris Curtis has to be in the car. I think he's like 6-0 and this year and went from being uh, on the verge of retirement to coming back to the UFC and having a, a phenomenal year. And then Chris Dawkins, who's headlining this card, I think he's probably more of a breakout fighter of the year. But, man, he's had a fantastic year as well, especially if he can cap it off with a win over Derek Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, I know the, the Chris Curtis one is definitely 
has to i would probably give the title to him for sure for like fighter of the year because like six fights i feel like man i don't know maybe it's different like fighting at different weight classes because i know i think he was kind of a welterweight and he fights at middleweight too and maybe that's a little bit easier but man three camps for me in a year has felt like a lot so i can't imagine what six felt like and he beat brendan allen who i'm sure you're quite familiar with how tough that guy is yeah yeah no that one hurt because you know brendan's still my guy but uh, yeah, that's good on him. Still impressive, Brent. Really, really good. I've got a question for you. What does this fight week have in common uh, with your last fight week? Can you can you put uh, two and two together on that? Uh, well, I know we're at the apex. That's that's one thing that it's had in common with a lot of different ones. Tyron Otherwise, Boy's boxing not... Jake Paul. It's the oh, same yeah. fight weekend as last time. We talked about this last time around, and now here he is again, boxing Jake Paul. Same night, actually, as, uh, as you this time around. Uh, have you spoken to Tyron yeah. at all going into this one? No, no, I haven't talked to him at all. Um, you know, he's got his fight coming up. I've got my fight coming up. Uh, we've, you know, obviously been training in two different places, but yeah, he's he's still a good friend of mine. I got wish him nothing but the best. I know he's going to do great, especially because Jake Paul put that bounty on his head by himself, which was probably not a smart decision. So I, I look forward to uh, going and getting getting my victory and then coming back to the hotel and hopefully watching him get a victory as well. Now, I actually spoke to Jake Paul uh, last week, and I mentioned to him that I thought there was way more for Tyron Woodley to gain from a win or uh, way more for Tyron Woodley to lose than there is for him to lose. And he disagreed with me. He thinks that he has a lot more to lose. What do you think if I if I ask you who has more to lose in this fight uh, if they don't get a win? Mm, that's a well. I guess it depends on how you look at it, right? If if you look at it from like a fight fan perspective, I guess I could see how you could make the argument Tyron does just being like disappointed that a former UFC champion would lose twice. Not that I think that'll happen, but um, from just like a, you know clout perspective i guess i could see how jake paul's gotta he's gotta maintain that image right the undefeated thing so if he does you know if tyron goes in there and knocks him out especially if tyron knocks him like knocks him out bad now they have a trilogy fight and if he can't get past tyron he can't have all these other fights that he wants so i'm sure in his mind like he's gotta still to play the effective heel stay undefeated for sure but at the same time that trilogy fight would be massive money and if, if he ends up um, having a trilogy fight with Woodley, I think that that is one of those, you know, those fights that really will sell to basically the general public. Like everybody would be all over that. So I think that they both have a lot to gain from a trilogy fight. But, you know, if Tyron ends up losing, leaving millions of dollars on the table, because I think he'd make a ton of money for, with, with a third fight. Right. No, so that, that's a good point with the trilogy fight. However, you got to remember, Jake Paul's talking about fighting like Conor McGregor and uh, Canelo Alvarez. So I don't know that the Canelo fight would ever happen. I mean, stranger things have happened, especially in boxing and MMA lately. But uh, if that was your goal, you know, I don't know that uh, a trilogy fight would do as much as a Jake Paul Canelo fight. As you know, far fetched as that is, if that's really his thinking, then I can understand that. He also says he wants to train in MMA and bring Khabib out of retirement to uh, to face face him. He said that to me. I mean, do you think that that's yeah. going to happen? How do you think that fight would go? No. <laughs> well, I think he would. Yeah, I think it would be way the like the worst beating we've ever seen. But that's what I'm saying, right? It's like I don't think it's gonna happen. But like if that's if you believe that, then yeah, I could understand why you're like, oh, I gotta make sure I stay undefeated. But again, like you're saying, yeah, if he goes into MMA and calls out Habib, he's 
yeah, that that would be not sanctionable. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think a boxing match with him and Canelo would be sanctionable either. I mean, that would be that would be basically yeah. like a uh, yeah, you, you're like basically signing a death warrant for the guy. I mean, Canelo is probably one of the most dangerous boxers we've ever seen. Right, but but if it did happen, you would pay to watch it. Oh yeah, everybody would pay to watch that, right? And I think they'd pay to watch it probably for the same reason to watch a YouTuber get whooped by Canelo. Exactly. Exactly. That said, I mean, his brother went the distance with Floyd Mayweather, which I I did not expect to happen at all. I mean, I know Floyd Mayweather is is not prime Floyd Mayweather, but I mean, to go all twelve rounds with a guy that's that good at boxing that has the muscle memory that just seems unheard of. Oh, actually, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, there's no reason for Mayweather to like open up too big and take a crazy risk. Uh, you know, Logan Paul also had like what forty fifty pounds on him, and he's you know strong stout fella uh he i think he wrestled a little bit in high school and um has some athletic ability and he was training he was in shape and on top of all that stuff you know mayweather's notoriously had like some hand issues in the later part of his career so you know look at his earlier fights he was really going in there trying to knock guys out as you go on the knockouts came from like really cooking them for a while and you know when you're that much smaller than somebody and you're like not trying to mess up your hands, you know, why wouldn't you just outbox and make your money and get the decision instead of like wear yourself out trying to knock out somebody that's that much bigger than you and still like a young guy that's in shape. He just smoked tension though. Like that's the thing that that's the thing that gets to me is like he went, he fought Tension Nasakawa in in Japan, one of the best kickboxers in that weight class. I know it's a smaller guy than Mayweather, but he he ran through that guy. That's what surprised way- me about him not finishing Logan Paul. Weight makes a big, big difference. If you, you know, like you said, tension is like what, like 138 pounds, 135. Yeah, he's, he's small. Right, 100, 130 some pounds soaking wet versus a guy who's like in the upper 90s, maybe 200, solid muscle, and and you know, I mean, and Mayweather's not throwing knockout, knockout blows because remember, Logan Paul's not an idiot. He's gonna you know, stay really, really tight, high and tight. He's going to come and throw a bunch of rabid punches and do some stupid stuff and not really leave a lot of openings where he could like really, really get caught. You know what I'm saying? Because on top of all that, he's got the reach. So if he does, does throw big bolo punches, he's so far away that it's not really in Mayweather's favor to like step in and try and counter. It's just let him miss. And then if the counter is there, it is. If it's not, you just outbox him. Kind of embarrassed we're talking about this. Why don't we talk about UFC 269 or something? <laughs> At least, uh, you know, some, something that is, is more fun to talk about. Did you did you watch UFC 269 this past weekend? And if so, what were your thoughts on the main I event? Did. Uh, I did. Um, you know, the main event the main event was crazy. Uh, Dustin looked really, really good early. but um, They both looked good early, but I feel like Dustin definitely landed some hard shots, and it seemed like he thought he was going to get the finish there and maybe – Pour on the coals a little bit more than normal, um, and you know, to Charles Oliveira's credit, he weathered the storm. He still landed his own shots really well. Did a lot of really good body work. So you know, normally it takes a little bit longer for that stuff to build up, but since Dustin's you know throwing so much heat and cracking them, and you know, expending so much energy on top of the knees to the body and the punches to the body and the front kicks and all that stuff, uh, it was just a, a really good game plan. He executed perfectly, and he looked. He looked really, really good, and the co-main, you know, I don't know that anybody wasn't blown away by that. That was nuts. Uh, the whole thing was crazy, especially to have Nunes look so, so dominant in the first round, like kind of how most of us expected, and then Pena to come back, 
and she's looking like extremely dominant in the second round and on the feet of all places is is insane I think there's one thing that everybody kind of ignored going to that fight or didn't really have the answer to, which is Juliana Pena's chin. I don't think anybody had, you know, really had seen Juliana Pena get cracked by anything in her UFC career. And we just kind of ignored it because it's like, oh, it's Amanda Nunes. She can crack anybody and knock them out. But when you have that combination of chin and heart like Juliana Pena, I think that, you, you know, and, and people kind of ignore that. It's almost like that sort of thing can certainly happen without anybody expecting it. Yeah, that will. And uh, I feel like, Nunes kind of got tired in that second round, too, and I don't know if she just really went for it in the first or what happened or didn't expect that to happen, but that's the other part of it is, you know, standing in front of Amanda Nunes and hitting her when she's swinging back and doesn't seem to be herself is one thing. If Because if she was swinging back with Amanda Nunes, you know, from the Cyborg fight, those are completely different punches. So, and I'm not, maybe there's something she did that made it that way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not taking anything away from Pena. That's, you know, she won the fight is a hundred percent all her, but like, I've definitely seen bigger punches uh, and faster punches come out of Nunez. So, you know, either she was out of shape or she just got, Pena did a great job draining her energy because that was, you know, something that I would not have put money on had I, you know, thought about it beforehand. Well, you're the perfect guy to answer this question because I think of the people in the UFC right now, you have some of the most opportunistic jiu-jitsu and grappling of anybody in the UFC. And I think Charles Oliveira is kind of the gold standard for that in terms of taking those risks, in terms of always being able to find something and find those small openings. What makes him so special? What makes him have that ability? And do you think that a lot of people that train in grappling should train with a more offensive mindset when you see the success of a guy like Charles? Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of some similarities to his game and mine as far as like he does a lot more striking than people talk about. You know what I mean? As known as a jiu-jitsu guy, but even that last fight, like I said, yeah, he took some hard shots, but he also stayed very composed. He landed really good shots himself, uh, did a lot of good body work, a lot of good clinch work, um, which is not necessarily the norm for a lot of long guys. And he did a really good job going from the long game outside, and then if he did get cracked or something, coming inside and landing those knees to the body and kind of clinching up and protecting himself. And then eventually you wear somebody out, you know, I, I probably wouldn't jump on somebody's back like that because I'm it's a little bit too much of a little guy move for me to be doing it. I know some bigger guys do it, but I just, uh, I'd rather just take it out first. But that's the thing is when you hurt somebody, um, you know, I think it's a really good thing to keep in mind to hunt for the submission because if you knock them out, great. And you should try to knock people out when you fight them, right? You should set up knockout blows. However, you can't 100% rely on knocking somebody out, right? And if you're swinging at them, they can always swing back at you unless you're like behind them or something. But if, I have my arms around your neck or my legs around your neck and I choke you. Uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, whatever you do, if you run out of oxygen and you can't, you know, can't get blood to your brain, you're going to pass out. So that's a surefire way where, you know, you take a little bit less risk because we've seen before when guys get in the fire, start swinging off on each other and one, you know, one's winning and then the other one gets clipped and you just don't know what's going to happen. When you saw that he had Dustin's back in the third, do you know it was over at that point? Uh, I figured it was pretty close because the way that the, the fight had progressed, like like I said, he had the first round, and then the second round, Oliveira was coming on strong, and Dustin seemed to like kind of tire out from really going for the kill in the first. And you know, he jumps on the back like that, especially when you're trying to defend a rear naked choke and somebody's on your back. Right? It's one thing if you try to scrape the feet off against the cage, uh, or you really got a good handle on one of the arms and you got it on the opposite side of your neck, but he didn't. 
seem to be doing anything other than trying to fight the choke itself while he was standing, which is very, very taxing. And it's also very hard to get somebody off your back if there's nothing like to scrape them off with. So you either got to use the cage or like just fall down to your back and maybe you put some upward pressure to get the choke on the wrong angle. But the longer you sit up there, especially with a guy that much longer and that's like a jujitsu, you know, once I saw that, I was kind of like, uh, and in the first couple of seconds of him defending, I was like, this isn't going to last much longer if he doesn't change his stuff. Now, the co-main event of your card this coming weekend features Bilal Muhammad against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You've obviously trained extensively with Bilal. What's the formula for Bilal to beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson? I'm going to tell you right now, he's won the fight. Let's say Bilal's won the fight. How did he do it? Uh, I say he, you know, managed distance better. And what I mean by that is he stayed in close. You know, I don't think it's anything, any secret to anybody. You don't want to stay on the outside with Wonderboy. He does his best work there. He's got to be long and loose and hit angles. Um, and any fight you haven't seen him do well is constant pressure. Uh, you know, I, I told him to take pieces of uh, the Anthony fight and the Gilbert Burns fight, the more recent ones. Uh, you know, Tyron did it too against Cage a little bit. But, you know, don't obsess about the takedown. Just constant forward pressure. If you get the takedown, great. If you don't keep him against the cage, if he runs, you hit him on the way out and you get right back in his face. You know, you fight him at close range. And, and, you know, the fight's yours. If you let him play the long game and you hang out on the outside too long, that's where the danger is. Yeah, I, I do a podcast with Bazooka Joe Valtellini who beat Raymond Daniels when Raymond Daniels, like, I think he was undefeated at the time. So he, he believes he has the, the code for defeating uh, Stephen Wonderboy. He recorded a video on YouTube, How to Beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, he recorded it like four years ago. And it's basically exactly what you just said. It's like pressure. You kick the back leg instead of the front leg. He has this whole formula. And I, I wonder if Steven himself has watched the video because I'm sure Steven knows what could be his undoing. And he probably is training every single day against guys that are trying to implement that plan against him. It's like when people bring in Raymond Daniels to emulate Stephen Thompson. Steven's probably bringing in people to emulate what those people are trying to do to Raymond Daniels. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think Wyman said he's trained with Stephen Thompson before and like, I know well, a couple of guys are wrestlers that have trained down there. So, you know, it's got to be no secret to him that that's what guys are going to do, right? They're either going to stay in close or they're going to try and take him down. So, again, no big revelation on either side. All right, last question for you. Let's say that you could map out 2022 for yourself in terms of your, uh, your fighting career. Uh, how's it going to look? Uh, so, first, perfect world. I, I get, get the victory in this fight. I get a bonus. Um, and then hopefully I can take a little bit of a break fight, you know, April, mid to late April, maybe early May, um, you know, maybe get two more in to finish the year and go, you know, six and oh, in two years. Have any opponents that you, uh, you have in mind? Ah, uh, no, man. MMA is so nuts. I don't know where he's going to be. Your rankings are going to be like. At this point, guys drop out, guys get ranked, people win and lose fights that nobody expects. It's thinking that far ahead isn't worth it right now, and I'm cutting weight, and I don't really care about anything, but <laughs> making through weigh-ins and eating afterwards and like getting my hand raised in this fight. Well, hopefully this conversation has been a good uh, distraction yeah. for you from, uh, from having to eat. I'd love to see you face Adolfo Vieira. Like, I just think that would be a, a cool stylistic matchup given his jiu-jitsu credentials versus how you've... Um, adapted jujitsu to mixed martial arts. Yeah. I mean, he's on paper. He's one of the most decorated guys in the middleweight division. There's other guy, um, Muniz, who's looked really good, mm -hmm. had a good strong start. Who's a really good grappler. Um, you know, like I said, I wouldn't say no to anybody. Adolfo does train at, uh, fusion XL, which 
you know, that's my guy JP's home gym, and I'm really cool with the guys down there. So uh, I'd prefer not to if I couldn't. All right, thanks, Gerald. Really appreciate your time. Okay. Uh, best of luck this uh, coming weekend against Dustin Stolzfitz. Uh, hope to see you uh, wrap up the year 3-0, three finishes, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the new year. Happy holidays to you and yours. Hey, you too, Aaron. Appreciate talking to you. Charles Air Jordan is back in action to close out the UFC calendar year. I feel like you've been on these cards twice in a row. Is this the third year in a row where you're on the last card of the year, something along those lines? Uh, yeah, the first time it was uh, with uh, Duo Choi. It was my my first fight, my featherweight debut. Uh, my first fight at featherweight. And uh, yeah, it was a good day. So I'm, I'm, I got the same feeling this weekend. That's right. It's two years later against uh, Andre Yule this time around. Andre Yule moving up a weight class to face you. Yeah. Do you think that's an advantage? Do you think you're going to have a size advantage in this one? I think it's going to be like Rojo. Uh, Rojo went to 145. They're still very good guys. They're fast, fast on their feet. So, yeah, fast uh, is going to be a disadvantage. But when it comes to strength, these guys aren't as strong as Julian Erosa or Andrew Philly or Choi, all the, the real featherweights that have fought. So, yeah, there's going to be some advantages and disadvantages. So I'm, I'm willing to face all of these Saturday. Whenever we talk, it seems like you've learned something from your previous fight. Now, your last fight was the first time you've ever lost inside the distance. Uh, what did you get yeah. from that loss, and uh, what, what, do you, what are we going to see that's different this time around? Uh, unfortunately, last time, I, I, but what I hated about the loss is I didn't feel I was getting beat up. I just made a technical mistake by going to a Kimura grip, which, therefore, with someone who's... Uh, uh, a smart individual who has a lot of knowledge against the cage is you can drag you uh, to the ground. And when I got up, it got me from a, a position that it's very awkward from that position to jump to a darts. But because he has such a long arms and that frame, he's used to that. So I'm, I'm rolling with crazy good guys, uh, especially at BTT, and uh, no one can be be head down the canvas. Uh, holding your legs and then jump to a, a dart choke. So that's where I learned that uh, the diversity of technique will depend upon people's frame. And uh, it was a frame that I'm not used to and I was not preparing to as well. I was <laughs> I was preparing to fight a 5'8 guy and then I got this 6'1 or 6'2 giant uh, neck snatcher. It was a, uh, at the end of the day, it was a great experience because I've learned and uh, yeah, I'm I'm not mad about it. The performance in itself was good. I was aggressive. I was throwing hands, dropped them in the second, blocked most of the takedowns. And uh, no, I, I'm 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 not happy about the result, but I was happy about the performance. How I got, how much I got better from the Rojo fight till this one, because we had like a five month scam because it was supposed to be in London. Oh no, it's Vegas. Oh no, it's going to be London. Oh no, it's one month later. So there was so many changes around that camp that made it hard, mostly on my mind. And my body was a little bit fatigued, but it, it's details. Uh, add stuff to the guy. The guy said, hey, I want to fight at 150 or because they told me you fight at 150 or you don't fight. I'm like, I'm going to fight for sure. So yeah, it was a overall good experience. I'm not mad about it. Did you catch Laurent Murphy's next fight? Because uh, you were supposed to face him. He looked fantastic. Yeah, I didn't watch it, but uh, uh, I heard the the first round you know, that was uh, it was intense. Amir Khani was getting the better of him. I just saw the finish, and I was like, "Man, how did you shoot from that distance?" I think I think Amir was pressed from from just the. the I didn't watch the whole fight, so I cannot 
put a, a respectable uh, uh, take on the, the the whole thing. But I saw the the distance where he shoot. Maybe Leroni was putting a lot of pressure on him, and many timed that knee perfectly, and it was a, a great finish. Hats off to him. Now he's climbing up the ladder. Not me though. <laughs> Well, I mean, you still have this weekend, uh, so don't, don't sell yourself short just yet. But I think a lot of us forget you've been in the UFC for about two and a half years now. You're still you just turned 26, so you have a lot of time left. Yes, yes, uh, but uh, something that some media outlet knows and some some don't is I'm 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 actually fighting for the last fight of my contract because they were willing to renegotiate, but uh, uh, I took the risk of finding the fourth one. I want to end this year properly with a, a nice victory before I ever get into renegotiation. So, yeah, may, but I'm, I'm not an idiot. I know that if I lose this fight and I didn't renegotiate when it was time, it could be my last one. But, Aaron, to be frank with you, i always been in a uh, weird state of mind before fights, but now I never felt better. I'm at peace. I'm living every day. Like, today, like... When you arrive to Vegas, sometimes it's the whole week you think about the fight and you're mentally destroying yourself like I was last time. But now every day is good. We have more liberty. We can go out. The weather is beautiful. It's kind of cold, but it, it's good. And every day is super important. And my mind is in the right place. And I've never been that confident. I was hitting pad yesterday and I was strong. I was fast. My body's no injury. Like I got, like I know inside of my mind, my soul, my heart, that is going to be a pure destruction fight, intense, and I know I'm going to destroy this man, but it's not about what I say, it's about what I do. So yeah, there's a couple of outside things that I cannot control. The only thing I can control is how the fight goes, and this is what I'm going to do Saturday. Well, it's interesting because you say you're at peace, but you just put all this extra pressure on yourself by fighting uh, exactly. out your contract. So how do you yes. find that peace and not worry about that? Because it's life. Like, you need to do i'm i'm gonna start to be like philosophical but on a fighter level so maybe it's not that high but for me is do your best and if my best is to reach the top 15 good if my best is to reach top 10 good but i'm not gonna torture myself if because you can never do more than your best so i know i did my best every day i woke up and the outcome will be the outcome. There's a lot of things you cannot control about life and and the thing I can control, I will do my best to control them. But for the rest, hey, uh, I enjoy and uh, yeah, I'm at peace. I have trouble putting it into words, but no, I'm, I'm good with that. Well, Andre Ewell's fights in the past have not always been that action-packed. You know, he's kind of a slow starter. He's very technical. One thing you can control is how exciting the fight is, the pace of the fight. Is that something you're thinking about as well as not just the result, but entertainment? Because, you know, ultimately the UFC wants to have fighters in there. They're going to put on a show. Whether you win or yes. lose, that could be something that you could walk into a negotiation with in your back pocket as well. As, you know, regardless of the result, if, you, if you've put on an exciting fight, that's something that you can, uh, can bring to the table. Absolutely. I think the UFC uh, and the matchmakers really enjoy me. I never said no to a fight. Like I was talking to my manager uh, uh, and he said, you know, you can say no when they, they, they gave me Ewell. And I was like, what do you mean say no? You can say no in the UFC. I didn't even know that. He said, yeah, there's a lot of fighters who say no. No, I don't want this fight. No, I don't want this time. I don't want this. Um, me, I, I knew a bit, but I, I know they don't like that. Like if they offer you something, they're like, man, like do it. 
And, you know, I accepted catch weights here, last minute fights there. Uh, two weeks before Philly, they said, oh, okay, you're fighting Philly. I'm like, okay, let's go. Uh, my first fight was last minute against uh, Desmond Greens. I, I I was always there. I always show up and I always put on exciting performances. So, yeah, I'm sure they they really enjoy that. And uh, but it's not adding any extra pressure. It's just me. I'm gonna pull the trigger on Ewell. Ewell's a guy fighting on the back pedal, throw some jabs, and it's crazy because I saw a couple of his fights and. The amount of shots he throws is not crazy, but he looks gas all the time. So I was like, maybe it's because of the cut. Maybe being at featherweight, he's going to be able to throw more and have a be- have a better cardio. And uh, being bigger sometimes help if you're a grappler. I'm not a grappler. I can grapple with you. I have uh, my wrestling is is getting a lot better, but I don't want that. I'm someone who's trying to batter your body. Uh, I'm a Josh Johnson fan, uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini fan, because these guys in glory, they're dissecting their opponents slowly but surely. They're putting a lot of damage, and you see who's willing to stay and who's willing to quit. And people say, oh, Andre Ewell is a striker. I'm going to turn him into a wrestler. He's going to shoot for his life, So, which is okay, because all the fights that I've lost uh, were, were these guys being strikers and then ended up like uh, holding me against the fence or holding me down, this and that. So they can call him a striker as much as they want. He's going to try to grapple with me at some point because his body's going to be bleeding, sore, swollen, the foot, the calf, the head, everything's going to be a damage fight. They call me hair, but a storm is coming. That's, this is how I see it. You mentioned your manager, Stefan Petri. I think the last time I saw him was when he was with Power Bar. I think it was in Ottawa. I think that's around the time you got signed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he had said to me that Cyril Gunn would be a UFC heavyweight champion one day. And wow, look, here we are. Pretty incredible to see how well he's been doing. Yeah, when when we saw Cyril, like, uh, he's an incredible man. Such a gentleman. Like, he did an interview recently. And, you know, everything's getting political. And because he's a fighter, everybody wants him an interview in France. And uh, there was a woman interviewing him and tried to say, how much did you receive racism? And how much did it... Uh, uh, was bad for your life, blah, blah, blah. Trying to make something political uh, out of the man. But it's okay. It's a question. But the way he, he answered it, he said, you know what? Racism is stupidity. And you don't waste time on stupidity. And she said, have you ever responded to violence uh, towards some t- someone being racist to you? He said, no, you never use violence against stupidity. You, The best thing you can use against stupidity is ignorance. You ignore it and you go go on. And I was like, man, this is such a powerful man. Uh, body and soul he's incredible like he was fighting in tko when i was there he was always super nice with us went to dinner with him uh and uh, stefan and his team my team and we had such a good time and i fought one of his teammates actually for the 155 belt and the day after we were all around the table eating drinking and cheering like vikings or something like it was it was very cool so yeah, Cyril Gan is uh, one heck of an individual. And real st- fun story, real fast. When I won in Korea against Choi, he won against Tanu Bozer, and I fought a couple fights after him. And when I went to the back back uh, room, he was there, and he said, "Oh, Charlo," and he took me into his arm. I'm not a contact guy. Like I'm not coming <laughs> from a house with a lot of testosterone, three brothers, like no hugs. And he took me by his arm and he lifted me in the air, and I was like. Uh, what's going on? He said, I'm so proud of you. And then it's so nice. And I was like, okay, like, what am I going to do? Fight him? <laughs> no. So I let him hug me. And uh, yeah, it was a fun interaction. He's a super uh, pure 
individual and I really enjoy that from him. I saw that interview uh, that you mentioned. It's, uh, it is nice to see uh, how he reacted to that. He's just always smiling. I saw him backstage with Imabov yes. uh, when I was uh, in New York and he's just like, he's just always got a smile on his face. He's always yeah. upbeat. Even that video where Francis kind of glared at him and his team, he just kind of <laughs> smiled like, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, that's why they call him Bon Gamay. Bon Gamay is a good man, so a good young man. So yeah, he has a very representative nickname. <laughs> well, Charles, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, we should chat uh, right, after Grace. this fight because I, I'd love to pick your brain on how the fight went and, and how everything else in the world of MMA is going. I know you're watching everything this last weekend. I would have loved to catch up with you about UFC 269 because it's such a great card. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you for this. Appreciate you and uh, best of luck this weekend against Andre Yule and happy holidays to you and yours if uh, we don't speak before then. Thank you very much, everyone. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Back when I was in university about 18 years ago, I watched this man lead the Fighting Illini of Illinois to the NCAA championship. And now I get to cover him as a boxer. It's Darren Williams. Thanks for joining me, Darren. Uh, And this is obviously a massive opportunity for you, something that you've been training for for a long time. Is this one of those situations where win or lose, you're just happy to have gotten it done? No, I mean, I want to win. Um, You know, I don't ever... I don't ever consider myself happy to lose in anything. Uh, it's just not in my nature. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely proud of, of getting here and, and getting through the training and through, through through training camp. How much more combat sports do you watch than basketball these days? Because I, I read an article in the Dallas uh, newspaper that you basically record or, or go back and watch every major mixed martial arts event. Yeah, it's like 99 to 1% probably. Maybe so outside of... Maybe even a little less than that. Outside of the fighters at Fortis MMA, who's your favorite fighter to watch in any sport, any combat sport? I mean, my 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 favorite fighter is John Jones. Always has been. Um, it's just tough to to kind of get behind him as of late. Um, but uh, I would I would hopefully he can you know you know conquer his demons and and you know get back out there and and see him back on top. Now, in terms of Florida's MMA, you must be super proud of what this gym has accomplished uh, under Safe Saud. You guys are very new uh, to the sport. Um, mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to put together such a, a, a gym that has had so much success in mixed martial arts? Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. What, what, what Coach Safe has been able to do, you know, over the last, you know, three years is, is unprecedented. Um, you know, he's, he's, I've seen him raise these, you know, these young pups into, into dogs. And so, um, you know, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to continue to see their growth, uh, the gym's growth. And then, you know, hopefully in the next, you know, year or two, we'll see a, we'll see a, you know, a belt floating around Fortis. Now I mentioned Bruce Weber earlier. He was a pretty loud guy, but I don't think he's as loud as the general safe. Saud. are you, are you excited to have uh, safe in oh, your no, corner? Man. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I don't know if he's as loud as Bruce though. Bruce is loud. <laughs> he's a loud individual. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely, definitely, uh, excited to have him in the corner. Um, this is what he does. You know, he, he gets guys ready to fight. Um, this is his life. This is, this is what he was born to do. And so, you know, there's nobody I'd rather have in my corner than him, uh, come Saturday night. Now, Florida's had a really big year. Uh, obviously Jeff Neal with a win this past weekend. I know Macy Chason's fighting uh, this weekend, but you're, you're, you're taking coach safe. You've got coach safe this weekend. Macy's going to have to have a different corner this time around. Yeah, Macy and Diego. Um, you know, coach always said if I did, you know, we we've talked about this for a couple of years. If if I did ever fight, that he was going to be there, you know, no matter what. And so you know, he stuck by his word. Um, and so I'm I'm definitely uh, appreciative of that. Is this a one-off in your opinion? That's how I'm going into it for sure. You know, um, 
at my age and, and um, everything. It's kind of just something that I've always wanted to do and wanted to check this box. And, you know, hopefully I can I can leave the, the combat sports world uh, 1-0. Now, if you're going to Fortis, what's the class that you're most looking forward to? What's the class that I'm most looking forward to? Um, probably it's tough. I really like I like our Monday night pro class is our, our our MMA. So it's a lot of grappling um, with with uh, eight ounce gloves. So, so we still get a little little punches in there and and, and stuff, but uh, a little more controlled. Which UFC fighter doesn't go easy on you? Gives you a hard time in the gym? Uh, probably Kennedy and Zuchuku. Yeah, he's a very quiet guy. He's, he he freaks very me quiet. out a little bit because he's very quiet. Yeah. He's very so calm. Nice, and then he gets nice, in there. And he's, nice. Yeah, flips a switch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, with in terms of boxing, you know, how how much have you spent in terms of your time and your preparation on striking over the years? Do you feel like that's what your best attribute is in terms of combat sports? Well, I mean, I, I grew up a wrestler, so you know, I, I'm I'm inclined to wrestling, grappling. Um, I've done a lot of jujitsu, but, uh, you know, I have continued to, to work on, on my striking and, and have made boxing a big part of, of, of my training regimen. And, um, so, you know, I feel like I'm comfortable with either and especially having this, this last six weeks to just focus on, on my hands, you know, I definitely feel, uh, ready. And this might be the equivalent of me trying to make you pick between your children, but if you were to make a prediction for the first Florida's MMA champion in, in the UFC, who do you think that'll be? Hmm. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna go with Jeff Neal. Uh, he certainly is the is the highest ranked. It looked great over the weekend, um, and I mean that guy packs a punch, Jeff Neal. I I think that uh, you might be you might be right in that regard in terms of him moving up the ladder in the welterweight division. I, I think that he does have what it takes to get it done, and I think you have what it takes to get it done against Frank Gore this weekend. That's right. uh, looking forward That's right. to uh, to seeing your boxing debut. Hopefully it isn't the last time. Hopefully you, you, you make easy work of Frank Gorn. We get to see more of you. Uh, appreciate your time, Darren, and uh, best of luck All on right, Saturday. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you. A big thank you to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Chris Dawkins, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley. Really, the list goes on and on. I mean, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Bilal Muhammad. Gerald Mearshart, Charles Jordan, Darren Williams. What a show. And uh, thank you. This is, I believe, go- likely our last TSN MMA show interview edition of the year. Uh, no other major uh, combat sports events before the end of the year to cover, uh, at least that I'm going to be doing interviews for. I don't want to take anything away from Ryzen or anything along those lines. But uh, this is likely it for the year. So thank you to everybody who tuned into the TSN MMA show interview edition in 2021. I look forward to doing more interviews in the new year. And, you know, it's the holiday season. Why not, why not uh, give, give us a little gift here for the TSN MMA show? A nice review always goes a long way in terms of the SEO value of the show, so to speak. So please feel free to leave us a five-star review, a nice comment. goes a long way with us. So thank you for listening. And because we will not have another interview edition, if you only listen to the interview edition, I wish you and your family a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas to those who observe Christmas. And I just want to say it's a real pleasure doing these interviews for your listening pleasure each and every week. I really enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing them. So thank you, and uh, Happy New Year to all. See you in 2022. For the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition, Aaron Bronstetter signing off for the year. 
Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.